We shall proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you just yourself? Has it slept since, and wakes it now to look so green and pale, or what it did so freely? Privy peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail, but screw your courage to the sticking place, and would not fail. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Film, a podcast that's not about Scottish films. I'm Paul Salt. And I'm Katie Maiden. And we are on our very last adaptation of Macbeth for now. For now! For now! (laughs) Uh, Four months, 21 films, and it all comes down to this. It's Kit Monkman's 2018 adaptation of... Macbeth! Macbeth? Is it? Again? He's done a Macbeth! We will proceed no further in this business. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Have it slept since? And wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? Pretty peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. When you durst do it, then you were a man. If we should fail. We fail, but screw your courage, the sticking place, and will not fail. Who <laughs> would have thought he f- might have done one of the more obscure ones? I don't know if he knows this, but this has been done like 20 times before at least. Yeah, I mean, they probably should have listened to this podcast before they <laughs> ad- uh, adapt Macbeth again. He should have Googled it. You know, he's just sat there with this, you know, manuscript. Like, I can't believe no one else has adapted this. It's crazy. You would have thought somebody like, I don't know, Orson Welles, maybe. <laughs> or... Okay, is that upon the stage? Uh, how did we find the film, like, as a movie? As a movie, like it's it's got this really interesting, yeah, odd um, way that it goes about it. So basically, the whole thing is in this kind of dome, which has like a doll's house inside it. It's a globe. It's like yeah, it's a, a multi-layered globe. globe um, There's with a different word rooms. for it. I looked it up, but now I can't remember it. Yeah. Um, and it's got a kind of like doll's house inside the globe. It's kind of kind like a of. panopticon in as much as you can kind of like see into all of the spaces and you can see yes. through the floors and such and see all the other spaces in it. But Yeah, it reminded me a bit of Dogville, the way that you can kind of... Yes. The way it moves from place to place and you can kind of see everything going on. Yeah, but our characters can't. And I really can't. like that oddity. Like it, yeah. It, it made us stand out. It did. It was entirely CG, so all of the locations are CGI and... It's it's interesting. I, I I wondered if that had been done just arbitrarily, you know, like Beowulf, you know, we did it because we could. But they've done it in order to create this sort of kind of interstellar style um, laying out of locations, um, kind of like, you know, Matthew McConaughey in the black hole, because sometimes it's not just space that's being uh, differentiated in this globe, but time as well. Like yes. right at the beginning, we go up and we see like the same scene at different points of time as yes. we go up the levels so yeah, it, yeah there's also this weird element where basically right at the beginning you see this like old man yeah i think he's credited house, he's credited what... as porter oh really so yeah. he's, he's like watching it in the globe yes he's, like he's watching a film but he's also within the film so he's got this like kind of horse store you know where it opens at the top yeah and he watches people go past but they don't see him 
well, so he's like the omniscient yeah. observer. Yeah, and he's watching like an old Russian film that seems to be titled Macbeth. It's very interesting. I'm not sure what he, yeah. how he plays into the whole thing. I don't know whether he's like us and we're like Maybe. the observer, or whether because it, it gives the it gives Macbeth the story an element of it being a story. Yeah, there's definitely because he is the real. You know, in films like there's the real people, like used in Stella Matthew McConaughey's yeah. character is like a real person. Sure. Whereas in this, the old guy is like the real person, and everyone okay. inside the globe is like players so it's like raising attention to the artifice of yeah. the endeavor maybe i don't know whether that was intentional but that's kind of how i read it that could be i mean it's yeah it's very interesting the way in which it sort of uses its globe layout in order to tell its story there's um some interesting sort of simultaneous action played through like very early on you've got um duncan talking about how the fane of cordor was a man with whom he had an absolute trust and as he's saying that we pan through the window to Macbeth ascending the stairs through that window except you know obviously they're nowhere near each other but because we're all occupying the same space you know we can then move from one action to the other fairly naturally yes um, exactly yeah and there's um you know things where they like pa- imagine like a cutaway doll's house we mm. like pan down from one scene where Macbeth yeah. is talking about killing Lady Macbeth, um, killing Lady Macduff and the family and you pan down to the room underneath and it's the slaughtering of the Macduff family. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in that way yeah. you can have over voice over another scene but that character doesn't need to be in that scene. Yeah, it's simultaneous action. It's cross-cutting without actually cutting. You're just panning in order to demonstrate this and it's very theatrical. Yes, and we have a lot of... Um, soliloquies and monologues that are over voices yeah. so it gives this kind of like narration feel yeah i'd say so at times where Macbeth and sometimes Lady Macbeth are almost the narrators of the yeah. play though that does like kind of peter off towards the end as they get yeah. more mad because they're not really like coherent enough to be the narrators anymore yeah it gets more insular you get less of a sense of the outside world beyond the Macbeths as the film goes on which is interesting so, yeah, sometimes I did find the CGI a little distracting. Sometimes the uh, textures were very obviously not real. But yes. for the most part, the lighting was quite good, I'd say. It's, you know, come on a long way since, like, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, where everything just looked, you know, completely yeah. sanitary. Yeah, the lighting was kind of, like, made everything a bit more dim, so you can't really tell <laughs> they're on a green screen. But sometimes it was obvious they were on a green screen when yeah. it's a bit brighter. And you're like, ah, oh, that's... Even though I know stuff is green screened, I don't want to know it's green screened. Yeah, so it's a shame because you could have probably used actual sets but then it would have been trickier to tie actual sets into you know this overall cgi layout that you've got going on so maybe this was more straightforward but i'd have liked to have seen a few more actual locations used within this space maybe build different rooms and then you know assemble them together using the cg um but yeah it's uh, the thing is the style and this kind of leads into the next section it is the only thing that's different about this adaptation, so it does yes, make absolutely. it more of the focus. Without without the style, yeah, I probably wouldn't have liked this adaptation very much. No, because it's super <laughs> straightforward. It's very yeah. straightforward. And, you know, you've got a few new scenes at the start. This is Fowler's Fair as Fowler, Fowler's Fair, how it's closer we do Shakespeare. Some new scenes at the start, but mostly... Um, you know, the pacing is quite good at the beginning. We've got a few scenes where we draw out the discussions between Banquo and Macbeth, similar to the way that we saw um, Justin Kurzel do it in his um, in his version. But there's not any new sequences and there's not really much in the way of new meaning here. It's pretty yeah, straightforward. Yeah, I, I really like, like, the, like you said, the beginning 
we had the kind of jokey Banquo. Yes. Your children shall be kings. You shall be kings. I. I'm saying I've called up to when to not so. Do the self same tune and words. Banquo and Macbeth. All hail. Banquo and Macbeth. All hail. Yeah, they had a good relationship. I like that. Um, and there is some like chopping of lines and words and like for example like the bit at the beginning where um before he goes to see duncan mm. and him and usually it's him and banquo just having this conversation like walking along yeah for some reason they're at a banquet with like whores and stuff yes yes we move on to a tavern um so that's like it's like cool that they change it up because it doesn't need to be just them walking along a field yeah i guess so if the new location is you know it, it helps the bond i think between yes Banquo exactly. and Macbeth. it means they um, have fun together you know however they do chop stuff up as well uh-huh. for example the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow yes is right, interesting. The, right at the end they tease it they make it look like he's about to do it after Macbeth, lady Macbeth dies you know and he does say she should have died thereafter and there would have been time for such a word but then he doesn't say the word instead he's interrupted and then yeah tomorrow 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 happens as he dies which makes sense it's better than putting it right at the end because that kind of contradicts the myth the the store the message of the thing it's it makes sense that tomorrow and tomorrow, tomorrow is very much the nadir of macbeth's you know contemplation so it makes sense yes. for it to fall just as he's about to die um we have a weird world here it's a kind of blend of medieval and modern you know the people with glasses and coats you got people mm. in like polo shirts yeah yeah <laughs> And then other people are wearing like the coats out of Game of Thrones, so it, it's and yeah. there's lots of sword fighting, albeit not very good sword fighting. So at the beginning, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be modern because you have yeah. like the old man who's like watching it," and then it cuts to medieval, and I was like, "Oh no, okay, he's modern. It's medieval. Yeah. Oh no, wait, there's a guy in a polo shirt." Yeah, there's so a guy in Duncan's court confused. wearing a polo shirt. So like, it's not. Is that Ross? Wearing yeah, a polo it is shirt? Ross. Yeah, yeah. He's... Ross, we've got a very, um, similar to Macbeth 2010, we've got a bit of a sort of office worker, Ross. You know, kind of a Weasley kind of dude, but um, without the intrigue of what he's getting up to in um, Macbeth 2010. So, yeah. Um, it's also quite a long one, it's about two hours, which it's means there's not long, much yeah. cut out. Um, there are some things cut out, but... Yeah. Um, Ma- like, for example, Lady Macbeth gets... No, sorry, Lady Macduff gets no lines. Nope, she gets no lines. Uh, we're missing the first half of Act 4, Scene 3, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are some there are some moments missing, but I, I didn't I didn't find myself missing anything in particular. I think it was um, relatively no, good No, I cuts. actually thought it was too long. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, it could have done with um, having a bit like, more trimmed. One of the things I thought to myself towards the end, I was like, I don't remember like all of this brooding from Macbeth. Yeah. But there's a bit where he's just like really broody for a while. Yeah. And I think that's a bit that a lot of people cut out. Yeah, or certainly they don't play it up like this. There were a couple of moments I liked. For example, um there's a moment after um Macbeth and Lady Macbeth interact for the last time it turns out. Um they just sit together for a while. They're just ca- kind of sad together. And I quite like that. I quite like that there's time there for the two of them to just sort of wordlessly and quietly be together as they both appreciate the fact that they've kind of come away from each other irreparably at this stage. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about their characterization later on. But I find that every so often it did find time for a nice quiet moment that I liked. Hmm. Um, it's interesting that the warmth disappears so quickly out of it after the murder. It's a good sort of tone shift there. 
of, you know, lots of laughing and sex and kind of closeness between characters before the murder, and then murder happens, and suddenly it just becomes very cold, which is good, but also does put you at a bit at arm's length in terms of relating yeah. to these characters. Yeah, you kind of get to know them, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, they've, they're best friends, and then there's yeah. this, like, really sexual relationship between them at yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. And then it's all gone. Yeah. And it's very sudden. It is very sudden. It, I, I know that's, you know, the point that he has, you know, he half murdered nature and such, and so, you know, nothing is light again. But it, it did just feel like they didn't, I don't know if they did the sadness as well as the sort of, you know, warmth hmm. earlier on. So I did feel it got a bit clinical after that. Hmm. Uh, very, uh, speaking of clinical, very restrained Macduff. Um, yes. This yeah. Is this the first Black Macduff? I think it's our, f- uh, yes, I think it's our first Black Macduff. And he, he, he um, the actor pr- provides a very uh, withdrawn performance. Um, at first, for example, in the scene where he finds the murder, you know, we've had a lot of bombast there, but he's fairly <laughs> straightforward in that role. But at the end, when he comes to confront him, he's less the sort of avenging spirit as much as the... Well, he, he plays it as being fairly frightened. Tyrant! Show thy face! If thou be a slain with no stroke of mine, my wife and children's ghost will hold me still. Mm. You know, and, and, and reluctant. It's Charles... Uh, Oh dear, I don't know. But it's an M immediately followed by an N. Uh, M Nene, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah, I think the M is silent. I'm gonna say Charles M Nene, um, playing him, who apparently is from Misfits. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I haven't seen, and a bunch of Casualty. But yeah, he's he's good. But it was an interesting way to take Macduff, you know, as this kind of quiet, nervous guy who, you know, I guess it it, it differentiates him from Macbeth. And as much as, or it makes him similar to Macbeth, you know, both men kind of drawn to commit this murder and yet neither particularly wants to. Only, you know, Macduff has much more valid reasons than Macbeth. It's it's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. A thought occurred whilst watching this. A thought? A, a single thought, one? A single thought bounced its way across my head whilst <laughs> I was watching this. Lady, Mac- Lady Macbeth's sleepwalking scene. Yes. Why is it significant that the doctor and nurse be there why doesn't it just play out as a monologue why is it important that i mean the significance of lady macbeth being asleep is so that she can be overheard it could have just been a monologue but then no one would so hear we it. know she's asleep well right but why the only reason she, i'm saying the only reason she's asleep is so that the assistants can hear her and the only reason the assistants seem to be here is to explain that she's asleep so it's like this weird circular logic why not do yeah. away with the doctor and the nurse and just have her do this as um, a monologue. Like a madness. Like I guess, Marion Cotillard I, I guess being like sleepwalking shows how mad she's got. I guess so. I guess it's like, I don't know whether that's like a thing from more like the past. Yeah. Where sleepwalking was like, you are insane if you sleepwalk. Yeah, As I guess so. As opposed to like what we know about it now. Yeah. Which is like, some people just do it and that's like normal. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, like I guess, yeah, it's like the full on madness. Um. Thing. And also then you need someone to go and tell Macbeth that she's dead. Oh yeah, but that can happen anyway. Anyone can find the body. And I don't think it's even the doctor who usually tells Macbeth that she's dead. It's um It's just Sa- like Seaton. Seaton. Yeah. Yeah. It's curious. I, I think it's it's something I hadn't noticed about twenty fifteen Macbeth that Marion Coltier doesn't it, she's not sleepwalking. She rides out to the church, you know, on her of her own free will. Yes. And nobody hears her make her confession. And I mm. think that's valid. And it, it's it's yeah, curious. Yeah, I think I guess in this in this way, when she's seatwalking, you have people find out, 
like that she because she says about you know he had so much blood kind of exactly thing. yeah and she says you know banquo cannot come out of his grave and so she's not dying like a saint if yeah. she died in the way that marion Cotillard did she's kind of it's like a tragic thing mm. whereas in this way people have found out she's a sinner yeah, but no, nobody seems to do anything with that information. Like the doctor and the no. nurse, they don't betray Macbeth or you know pass that along to anyone. You know, and I I don't see the importance of the fact that she's now you know a leaky ship, so to speak, that she's not gonna keep the secret anymore. That could have been something. What if Macbeth had found out she started sleepwalking and kills her to keep her quiet? Ugh. That'd be Ooh. bleak. That'd be very bleak. Um. <laughs> all right. Just uh. Yeah. Just a thought. All right, let's get into some segments. Extra ghosts, no ghosts at all seen on None, film. not even a Banquo. Not even a Banquo. Um, he just stares into like the empty seat, and the seat we're in is like from our perspective. So he's like looking at us and being all afraid, maybe afraid of the perceptions of the viewer. Oh, maybe. And, and oh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but there's one instance where he breaks the fourth wall and then never does it again. Oh, really? What, what was and I was answer? like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, that'd be cool if he keeps doing it, including us. But no, just one time, like, near the beginning. Oh, how bizarre. Yeah, really bizarre. Maybe he did it on an accident. Maybe they just couldn't afford ghosts. Pretty expensive. And you spent all your money on a weird circular globe set in, in a computer <laughs> land. You know, and you have to, like... Computer land. <laughs> yeah, you have to do, like, Tron to get all the people into the computer set. It's really yeah, a whole true. process. Yeah. Tron is expensive, yeah. Tr- Tronning people is expensive, so there was no more money left for ghosts. Um, or a poker face, because we don't get any Ro- Ross's poker face either. No. No. Uh, he just shows up and says. And then Porter speech, no Porter speech. The Porter is the weird old guy in an office, apparently, according to the credits. But yeah, he doesn't even really Porter that particular Hellgate. So. Yeah, it's weird. I, I yeah. don't know why he's credited as the Porter. It's very odd, isn't it? But what, what is... I'm trying to think of what the significance of connecting this weird guy with the porter is because the porter for the most part has only served the function of comedic relief there's only been a couple of films that tried to do something else with him um i.e macbeth 2010 where suddenly he becomes like a weird alcoholic madness yeah exactly (laughs) so um yeah i don't know whether it's supposed to be like this is just computer speculation Mm. but it's supposed to be like maybe like a memory yeah, so if he maybe. was the porter then he kind of experienced all this stuff and he's like now retired in his <laughs> little shed. You've always been the porter here. <laughs> he's like remembering. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Happened. Maybe he just represents the maybe. idea of long memory. You know, that eventually history will record all of this in this particular way and that these characters are kind of fated to all fall before then. Tram up the consequence. We didn't see the murder. No, we didn't. But nah. that's that's pretty traditional and, and yeah. like we said, this is a pretty traditional adaptation so. yeah very straightforward um what bloody man is that we've come to our Macbeth, and we've got mark rowley wearing the uh, hollow crown so what do we make of him he was like average life's but a walking shadow a pool player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot Full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Yeah, he wasn't like terrible, but he didn't give you. Having now seen every single, he has the unfortunate <laughs> thing of him being the last one that we're seeing. Sure. So I'm comparing him now to some really hard hitters like, um, I mean, Orson Welles, James McAvoy, yeah. um, Michael Fassbender. Oh yeah, like. Oh, everyone yeah. that, uh, that's come before him, and he's pretty average. He doesn't give, like, 
the power. No. But he also doesn't do... He does the madness, okay? Like, I quite like some of the madness. Yeah. But he doesn't give it the, the like, oomph that some of the others have. No, I'd go along with that. What I've written is pretty good. I think it was all right. Uh, very lively at first. I liked him being friendly. Yeah, I liked you know. the beginning. You know, when he's pranking people, like sneaking up on them and sort of making them jump. And he just seems like a bit of a lad, you know. And then he does the murder and he becomes this sort of haunted figure. And it's, it's again, it's pretty good. It's all right. Um, but nothing really that's going to reinvent the character for you and or make you see it differently. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I think, <laughs> I don't know whether this is intentional, but they were like, huh, he's average. Why don't you just take a shot off? Yeah, he's pretty stacked. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty it's just like, rich. okay, that kind of boosts it up for me a bit, I guess. <laughs> okay, we got a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, but speaking of um, seeing a surprisingly large amount of their chest, let's move on to The Serpent Under It. Um, Lady Macbeth, we've got yeah. Akia Henry. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch. And it shall to all our nights and days to come give so sovereign sway and masterdom. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we had like a like a sexy Lady Macbeth in this we, one, you know, yeah. kind of the seductress, but also like a powerful seductress. Yes, early so on. we had at the beginning she's very like um they're very sexual, as we say, we get yeah. like full on Macbeth sex in this one. Yeah, we do. Shot um, from above, but still, we get mm, some. And so yeah. then you kind of see that their, their first conversation is like during like sex, basically. Yeah, so you he, see their like yeah. intimacy. Yeah, which is good. I like which that. Is they good. were very affectionate and um, yeah, very close. And then suddenly, yeah, she introduces this kind of idea that he's already been thinking about, and it kind of changes. It kind of shifts the earth around them. Yeah, and, I um, think she yeah. definitely was more powerful than he was. I think so, but for me. Unlike him, second half of the movie, and I know that this is part of a problem with just the screenplay, with just Macbeth as a play, but I really felt at this time that she just falls off the face of the earth she in does. the second she, half. Like, she's just gone. Yeah. And then she comes back for the seatwalking scene, and then obviously she's gone again. Yeah. So that is, again, is a problem with the play, but in some... Because this was a very long one, mm. and they didn't cut out as much as other plays, yeah, you don't get her gap. back as quickly. And I think... Is there a scene that was cut out that was one of her scenes? No, in the play, you don't actually see Lady Macbeth again after she sits down, you know, post-banquet to say, you know, you've got to stop acting so weird. Yeah, I think sometimes people insert her into, like, another scene. Yeah. I think, yeah, people insert her maybe into, like, the um, the Macduff killing family well, only, only, conversation. Um, only Justin Kurzel did that, yes, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's she's sometimes seen around the place, but you know none of them managed to spread her out quite as effectively. I don't. I mean, think she doesn't even need Kurzel. like lines. You could mm. just have her walking through scenes. Like she lives yeah. in the castle. She does. So but... you could have her look walking across the stage, or like just in the corner and then exiting a scene. Like it doesn't need oh. to be. And then she would be more present, and she'd be able to act, getting slowly more mad. And I think that that's like that's a good way of like inserting her without having to change the script true but um we actually spend quite a bit of time away from the castle in the yeah uh, that is fact. true we, we, like, on leave, the and stuff. we leave the last time we see her and then we go to the witches then we go to the mcduff family household then we go to you know act four scene three and then we come back for the sleepwalking so we haven't actually had any scenes you know in the castle 
without LM. I think what would be good is to like insert a kind of silent scene mm. in between like the witches and the Macduff family scene. Yeah. Which well, is her like maybe washing her hands or something, which is maybe. just like a silent scene or something like that. You can do it like in plays, you can change things so they're more, yeah. you know, believable. This but again, Justin Kurzel did it. He um, repurposed yeah. some of the lines at the end of, um, from the end of the scene where he sees the witches and then took some of the sleepwalking and created a new scene with her, you know, to put yeah. right there. Because so. he re- he must have yeah. realized that actually it didn't, didn't go as well, like yeah, without an extra, but anyway, like, yeah, yeah. Um, back to Lady Macbeth. Yeah, she was, yeah, yeah she, for the scenes that she was in, she was good. She was powerful. She's probably yeah. not like one of my favorite Lady Macbeths, but mm. she wasn't by any means bad either no no i li- I liked her very well it's just I, I i felt that she did the sort of first two act stuff a lot better than she did the rest of the play stuff you know she did yeah. the seductive the um the sort of powerful the determined that stuff came really well um but there is definitely a transformation but you know for me it's into a less interesting character but that's partly partly the fault of just the way that lady Macbeth tends to get written you do have to think outside the box to reinvigorate that character in her in the latter parts of the play. Um, okay, Weirdest Sister. Now, this mm. is an odd one. Lesser than Macbeth. And greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings. Though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth. All hail have we only got one witch? A mother with lots of, like, little kids Yeah, around? so we've got, like, a witch, but then yeah. we've, like, witchy children. Yeah, right? who, like, show up and appear to people here So and the first, very first scene, before yes. the porter slash old man, uh-huh. we get, like, a, just a shot of the witchy family. Yeah. Yeah, we do, and they're and then, and, then it, and then it cuts, and then we don't get, like, lines. Yeah. And then it cuts to the poor guy, and then it cuts back to Macbeth. Yeah, we don't get where shall we meet again, you know. No, none of that. That's or any cult, Which is annoying because it's like the most memorable lines <laughs> from Macbeth. Yeah, it's a pretty underwhelming witchy situation we've got. I feel like, I wondered because uh, is she, because we see her, then we see the porter and then we see her again and then we cut through above floors and see people getting murdered. And I wondered if she's meant to represent like a victim of war in some way. Like maybe she was killed by Macbeth during his campaign and now... You know, she's orchestrating his downfall by giving him these prophecies. But I might be maybe I don't know. There. I don't know whether it's meant to be like she's some sort of because she's in the Porter scene and she's in Macbeth. She's yeah. like the tie. She's almost like the tie between this yeah. guy who's watching it and them. So she's like the tie between the play and the watcher, or the past yeah. and the present. And yeah. if she is like a witch, maybe she's still alive throughout the whole thing. Or maybe, like, yeah, it could be, like, a ghost or something. But we don't really get enough information to make that judgment. It needed to be more obvious if it's any of those things. Hey, you know what would be a crazy witch? If the witch was the playwright. Oh, my God. If the witch was, like, Shakespeare. Yeah, talking directly to the characters. (laughs) That would be crazy. Well, one thing that has not come (laughs) up yet that I really want, and I think it would be so interesting... Mm. As if at the end, Lady Macbeth dies and she joins the witches. Yeah, that because yeah. then she she's a product of Macbeth's fate, so she becomes like part of fate, and the witches represent fate. 
Yeah, if like if you combined like the scene from 2015 Macbeth where Mary Cotillard uh, sees the witches with like the final scene of the tragedy of Macbeth where Fleance, I think, uh, gets a vision. Maybe like Lady Macbeth is the one who appears to Fleance. Yeah, I've, I, exactly. In the Marianne Coulthard one, I really did think that they were going to make her part yeah. of the witches because she was very like witchy, wasn't she? Yeah, and she saw them at the end. Yeah, exactly. But then they didn't. I really think that would be such a good like ad- like addition yeah. where she kind of she saw them because she's like close to death, right? Yeah. In in the Marianne Coulthard version, so in a way, she's she is like part of that fate already. Mm. So I just yeah. think that would be such a nice little adaptation where, like, you know how people add Fleance and at the end because, like, <laughs> yeah. Fleance represents, like, you know, the circular thing of yeah. violence. Yeah. But they could do the same thing with Lady Macbeth. If they're adding yeah. Fleance at the end, they could add her and she represents the circular thing of fate. Yeah. Because most of the time, if they get shown after their deaths, they just get shown as, like, going to hell. Like in the Verdi opera or in um, Macbeth yeah, that 2010. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, or Macbeth 2010 when they're like in the elevator going down to hell together. It's The um, elevator. The elevator. Oh my God, which one of them is the devil? It's both. <laughs> it's always um, And again, oh God, I, should, I, I told myself I'd try and do this, cate- this section earlier because it's so disappointing, but the He Needs Not Our Mistrust section of our podcast ends with a disappointing whimper as there are only two murderers in this one. Yeah, I think... So there's this massive scholarly debate about yeah. the murderers. I there think is, we yeah. have discovered through this whole thing... <laughs> that it's easier not to do anything just, with it. Yeah, just have two murderers. Yeah, but like, look, there's there's an opportunity there. What, don't have the third murderer just be some guy that Macbeth sent to check on them because Macbeth... Have him be Seaton or have him be Ross. Yeah. Or someone else. Like, have it be, you know, maybe Macbeth himself in disguise or something. You know, you can do stuff. It was like a moustache on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You know what? Second thoughts. I better keep an eye on those guys. I think I really think that the the Ross one, where he's Ross, is probably yeah. most interesting because it yeah. gives duplicity to Ross. Yes, it made. I mean, but I don't tragedy... know if that's the character of Ross. To be honest, personally, I think Ross is more like he's he's duplicitous, did. but only in the way that he just follows the power. But he's not really like a murdery one. He's more like an administrative one. Yeah, I mean that kind. Of, that's yeah. But the tragedy of Macbeth is the only one that really gave Ross anything interesting to do. The nineteen seventy one adaptation. I, I mean, think, even here, yeah, having just, just read a whole biography of Shakespeare, uh-huh. one of the things that, you know, stood out to me is um, that he never edited his work. He just wrote. He never went back and edited it. So right. it could be, the whole thing could be that he just forgot how many murderers oh, there were. The thing is, the third murderer does get an entrance. Like, the third yes, murderer comes in and the two murderers are like, oh, who sent you? And he's like, Macbeth. Oh, you know who Macbeth is, so I guess you're on our side. Yeah, but um, it could be that he forgot he didn't have, like, a conversation with Macbeth before. Did I write a scene where Macbeth sends another murderer? Yeah, probably. Oh, I, I see, wrote right. it. Do you know what I mean? As opposed right. to... <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. he he just... Who's to say? I don't but know. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll we'll get our time machine. And then <laughs> I promise the first thing I will do is go back and ask Shakespeare. So what's the, what's the deal with the third murderer? What is the deal with that third murderer? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it is what it is. It's in there. We don't know why. But there, since it's in there, you can do some interesting stuff with it. Um, or you just leave it out entirely like this one did. Yes. So I guess to sum up, it's interesting, but a little straight um, in spite of its inventive visuals. I think it's worth seeing kind of for how it lays it out, because that's kind of interesting. But don't come expecting, like, the future of Macbeth, you know, or Shakespeare adaptations, because... You know, it doesn't it doesn't have the creativity really for that. 
No, I think the the future of Macbeth mm. was was the um, Michael Fassbender yeah. version. That was That's the one where it's vision. like, everyone now needs to follow this. <laughs> I want to see this staged. Yeah. Because they did, did things with every single character. Every yeah. single character had a unique perspective and thing like yeah. especially like the two main characters yeah i want to see and every, this there. whole play is about Macbeth and lady Macbeth. like it, there's no like denying it really is there no no absolutely and, and the witches and just fate as like a agency yeah. yeah so i think that's pretty much it for Macbeth 2018 so a charmed life what is katie's shakespeare fact so my shakespeare fact today did you know that that shakespeare had three children no actually i've never thought about his family yeah so he had three children um, he had Susanna in 1583, mm. and then he had twins who were called, in 1585, who were called Judith and Hamnet. Ah, the little Hamnet. Hamnet. Hamnet with an oh, M. Oh, Hamnet. Hamnet. Oh, so, um, and then when they were 11, the twins, Hamnet died. Oh, no. And then after that is when he wrote his, like, most important big plays. Oh, so wow. we don't have any information about whether he was there when he died or even what he died of. It was probably right. some sort of plague because plague was everywhere at the time. Um, mm. Yeah. And wow. there's... Interesting. You know, there's a lot of speculation about sure. whether he was like grieving or not because he wrote like some comedy straight after. So right. <laughs> it's weird. But um, he did rise to fame very like soon after. Yeah. So maybe he like dove himself into his work. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, those are his children. Um, he had... Um, grandchildren as well but his line actually stops with his grandchildren because his only like grandchild who lived didn't have any children I was going to ask about that if there are any direct descendants no so there, so there are no direct descendants oh, wow. of William Shakespeare alive today because his line stopped with his granddaughter bleak he was given a barren crown <laughs> a fruitless scepter or possibly the other way around also, if you want to hear more Shakespeare facts, you can go to my other podcast. Oh have my you ever heard of? Because, You're doing your own um, segues. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about Shakespeare. So. Yeah. All right, well, go ahead. Uh, tell us how else can people find out about Katie? Well, like I said, you can go to my other podcast, Have You Ever Heard Of?, which is a history podcast where yeah. we talk about people you may or may not have heard of. Um, you can go to katiewritesabout.com where I review books and films and tomorrow we're seeing Tenet so there'll probably be a review of Tenet up um, in the next couple of days Um, yeah and you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Katie Writes About what about you Paul? well you can stay right here on Screen Mayhem where Screen Mayhem Extra is still going and I'm still appearing on it and there are reviews going up including soon a review of Tenet woohoo um, and I've also just been accredited at the London Film Festival, so you can expect Yay. some reviews from there. And the it's the Fright Fest this weekend, and they're doing some... Oh my god. Yeah, they're doing some screenings, so I'm going to try and see a couple of things in the Fright Fest um, online. Uh, so you can look out for reviews of some upcoming horror films. Nice. Also, you can over- go over to OGT Pod and find out about One Good Thing, which is the podcast I do with Paul Goodman, where we watch bad movies and find nice things to say about them, so... Go over and experience that. It's an experience. We have done it for a long time. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, here we are then. We're now done with adaptations of Shakespeare, but we've still got two more episodes of this show to go uh, before we're able to move on to some other crazy. Move business. on with our lives. <laughs> move on. Just God Almighty, put it behind us. Um, we are going to do next up an award ceremony where we are going to hand out awards to all of the best adaptations and performances 
um, that we have seen over the past um, 20 weeks or so. Yes, it's going to be so exciting. We're going to have Best Macbeth, Best Lady Macbeth. Best, best Ross's Poker Face. Best Ross's Poker Face, yeah. Best, best you know, <laughs> musical number, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so Verdi's probably in there with that one. Yeah, that's the closest to come to a Macbeth musical, and I think that is a disgrace. <laughs> I think there should be a Macbeth, like, full-on jazz hands musical. Damn right there should be. And then, well, speaking of that, after the award ceremony, you can enjoy our pitches for adaptations of Macbeth. So, yeah, listen out to that. Uh, but until then, away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the heart doth know. Bye! Cheerio. Thank you.